Okay, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for your mercy toward us. Just just the ability to have a relationship with you, to to know you, to uh, Lord, also to have an opportunity to come together to study your word, to um, to understand more deeply the, uh, the things that you have told us. Um, God, I just pray that you'd be with us as we study your word, that we would just have a deeper understanding, that we would uh, interpret things correctly, um, and uh, Lord, just that you would be honored in this study. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so continuing our study on the Holy Spirit, um, just to remind everyone, uh, we've talked about the the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We've talked about his work in the Old Testament, his work in the life of Jesus, uh, converting sinners, um, the Holy Spirit as a teacher, as a sanctifier. And then last week we talked about being led by the Spirit. And this morning we're going to talk about the gift of the Spirit. Now notice I used the singular and not the plural, so we're not talking about the gifts of the Spirit. That's uh, that's future yet, but, uh, but we're going to talk about the gift of the Spirit. Um, and one thing, uh, when we when we look at this particular topic, um, very often, um, as I don't know if any of you have ever taught, I, this can be definitely a danger that like you're you're assigned a topic and you know here's what you're supposed to teach, and you can very much focus on things from a systematic theology perspective where you're you're just looking at a topic and you're saying, okay, what does the Bible say about that? Just looking across the whole Bible, you know, what, is, what does the Bible teach about that particular topic? Um, and sometimes that can cause us to neglect uh, the ideas of a, a redemptive historical perspective. Um, and the fact that, like, there are some uh, things that the Bible talks about where, you know, it, things happen in one way. Uh, in one period, and then as redemptive history moves along, things shift to uh, to working a little differently. So when we when we consider this uh, this morning, this is one of those areas where uh, it's important that we have a, an understanding of of the the flow of redemptive history, um, not neglecting the systematic theology aspect of it because that uh, that remains an important thing, but but just understanding uh, the way that. The, the Holy Spirit interacts with us has actually changed uh, in history. So let's let's just look and see what the Bible says about a few of these things. Um, after uh, Jesus was raised from the dead, he showed himself to his disciples. Uh, he gave them proofs of this miraculous event and explained to them how these things were in accordance with the scriptures. And then in... Um, Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 48, he said to them, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay until, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now this is a, a slightly enigmatic statement if you just look at it by itself. Um, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. What does Jesus mean by that? Probably can't get that from just that particular verse. Does anybody have any idea what he's talking about? 
there are a few different places in the scripture that think of, but mainly thinking of the um, upper rim discourse. Jesus talks about after he goes, he'll send the Holy Spirit. Right. That's Jesus promising that there, but I can't remember if he says that. I think he says the Father maybe will also send I'm just realizing I don't have my my hearing aids in here, so I got most of what you said. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's the the idea of the the promise of the Holy Spirit. I think that I think that's what you said. So I apologize. Um, but yeah, uh, there are a few places, and, and we are going to look at the at the passages there where Jesus is is making those statements. Um, but it's it's the Holy Spirit. Um, in uh, in Acts chapter one, a conversation is recorded in which Jesus is explicit. It's very similar to this conversation here at the end of Luke. Um, but in Acts chapter one, beginning in verse four, uh, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Again, same language there, which he said, "You heard from me." For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So there you see the Holy Spirit specifically is brought into that. Uh, so when they had come to, uh, together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. Uh, He makes reference to John's statement that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Um, And he also, uh, he tells them the Holy Spirit will come upon them. That's the the language he uses there, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. Um, is there any other um, things that you notice that uh, are kind of parallel in these passages that both of them allude to? In case you don't remember, the earlier passage was uh, was Luke chapter 24, verses 48-49. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending... The promise of my Father upon you, but stay until, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. They're very similar passages. The uh, the Holy Spirit is is uh, is promised there in. Um, in both of those passages, um, specifically talks about that uh, they're going to receive power. Um, just the just the idea that they're going to be empowered in what they're doing, um, and specifically, they're you know both of them it talks about them being witnesses, uh, proclaiming the message of what Jesus uh, has accomplished, uh, his uh, sacrificial death, his resurrection, um, and so they're going to. Um, to receive power. Now, here um, there's there's talk of a promise. So, uh, when did Jesus tell them about this? Well, Ben uh, gave us the the clue there um, in John chapter 14, 
John chapter 14, look beginning in verse 16. Uh, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper uh, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, looking at this particular passage, there's uh, there's some uncertainty about the the tense of the of the verbs in that last clause. So, um, just and just the brief amount that I was looking at, uh, you know, at, at different uh, uh, people trying to interpret this, there was there was certainly a variety of interpretation uh, on this. So it's it's hard to come to like a this is solid proof of one particular view. Um, I noticed that uh, I, I was reading Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, he believes that uh, that the, um, the the contrast is um, well. I guess I should back up and say one of the, one of the uh, very frequent um, approaches to this is to uh, is to say that what's going on here is that there's a uh, the idea of the Holy Spirit is with them uh, currently. That that's the current situation. The Holy Spirit is with them. Um, but that the, the situation that's going to change is that the Holy Spirit is going to be in them. Um, and that's, that's one possible way to look at it, specifically if you look at it as the, the with is in the present tense and the, uh, and the in is in, the, um, is in the, the future tense. He will be in you. Um, Sinclair Ferguson uh, disagrees with that particular perspective. Uh, he, he says that the, the contrast is not located in the manner of his dwelling so much as in the capacity in which he dwells. Um, and the idea that, uh, that Ferguson believes is correct is that he's, uh, he's witnessing to the glory of Christ and so that the Holy Spirit is, is there you know, just as much before and after, but that he's there as a witness of Christ is the, is the thing that's new. Um, and so there's there's some debate, uh, some some discussion, and I'm not going to be able to you know give you just an exact. This is definitely the proper interpretation, but certainly some things to think about. But there's there's obviously something going on here where uh, where Jesus is making a promise to his disciples of the Holy Spirit uh, being with them in some uh, some new sense. Um, so Ferguson, when he's talking about that he's witnessing to the glorification of Christ, uh, specifically, um, one of the reasons he, uh, he uh, views it that way is because of something we see in John chapter 7. So going back to John chapter 7, uh, verses 37 through 39, it says that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So uh, the ones who would receive the Spirit are those who believed in him. That's the... Uh, the language that Jesus used there. Uh, but it specifically says this has not happened yet. And so we see that there's a, a transition that's going to happen 
um, after Jesus is glorified. Um, and the reason it hasn't happened yet is because Jesus has not yet been glorified at this point in redemptive history. Um, now, the, the text doesn't tell us why the giving of the Spirit is reserved for after the glorification of Jesus, but it's clear that that's, that is the case. So, um, you know, you can, we can speculate on exactly, you know, why it is that the Spirit can't be given until Jesus is glorified, um, but whatever the reason is, we know that that is the case. Um, and so we, we see that there's, there's definitely just this idea of a shift in history, um, that the Holy Spirit is in believers in a way um, after the glorification of Christ that he's not beforehand. Um, moving back up to uh, the, the latter section of John where, he's, where Jesus is explaining to his disciples what's going on, uh, in John chapter 16, uh, verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, when we look at that, again, we see just this idea of there's a shift in history. that There's a change um, that the Holy Spirit is not um, is not with them in this sense at this particular point in history, um, and um, and we've seen that that this involves um, uh, power, right? Um, Jesus told them, "It's like you're going to be clothed with power from on high." Uh, but we see here that it's not limited to that. Um, what, what else is going on here that Jesus talks about in John chapter 16? What, what else is involved with, uh, with the Holy Spirit coming to people? There's just the title of Helper there. Mm-hmm. But then also in the next couple of verses, which you didn't read, there's a whole lot of stuff that is mentioned. Okay. About convicting the world. And, uh-huh, yeah. And, yeah, concerning... Righteousness, judgment, and sin, all that. Right, yeah. Yeah, so there's that whole discussion of the of the Holy Spirit coming and convicting. Um, also, just there's the idea of basically um, the... Uh, uh, basically, the presence of God with us. Um, you know, Jesus is with his disciples at that point. Um, but he's looking forward to a period when he's going to go away and the Holy Spirit is going to come uh, and be their helper. Now, you might say, well, okay, is that just the Holy Spirit is just then replacing Christ in some sense, and so Jesus is not really there at all anymore? Um, well, if we, if we look, um, I guess, back a couple chapters, uh, Jesus has already talked to them about this back in John chapter 14. Uh, looking uh, at uh, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And there he's, he's specifically talking about that, you know, that he's going to go away, but he's not going to leave them as orphans. He says, I will come to you. Um, and then we jump ahead again uh, to verse 23 there. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, 
he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So when we consider that, what is what is that? What's the idea that's being expressed there? Well, it's, it's the idea of the Trinity. It's mm-hmm. when you're receiving the Holy Spirit, you're not receiving the Holy Spirit, you're receiving the Trinity. Right. You're receiving Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. Together. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's exactly right. Is that the all all three members of the Trinity are brought together and are in a sense indwelling us as the Holy Spirit indwells us. Ben. Yeah, well, and, uh, and with the last phrase there, as the Holy Spirit dwells us, there is a sense where the Holy Spirit seems to be the primary actor here because mm-hmm. Jesus is talking about how He's going to go away mm-hmm. and send the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and it's through the Holy Spirit that the Trinity is making their home. Right. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. I mean. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a there's a very real difference in the presence of Jesus in the lives in the in the lives of the apostles um, at this point in history when he's speaking because he's there physically with them, right? You know, they can they can see him, they can they can speak directly to him, they can touch him, um, and so his presence is of a different nature at that point. Um, but uh, the time he's talking about in the future, his presence is going to be different. It's going to be through the Holy Spirit, but he wants them to understand that uh, he's not going to cease to be present with them just because he's not physically with them, but that as the Holy Spirit indwells them, that they are then in fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with uh, with you know with God Himself in His fullness. Um, so a big part of this is just the just the presence of God. Uh, with his people. Um, now let's um, let's consider the fulfillment of this promise. Um, we, we've talked about like you know Jesus's uh, making the promise, and we've we've talked about that he told them, "Look, you're going to get what has been promised." Uh, well, if we look in Acts chapter two, we see where that promise is actually fulfilled. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so there, we see they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that, you know, that happens actually in time. Um, they, uh, prior to this, they had not been filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and when this happens, it causes a commotion. I'm sure that many of you remember the, the story, you know, they're, they're speaking in tongues and, you know, there's people from all over that understand them in their various languages. So... It causes this commotion, um, and so Peter speaks to the crowd to provide an explanation. Um, and beginning in verse 16, he says, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and on your sons and your daughters shall, uh, and your sons and daughters and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
So how does how does Peter apply this passage in Joel to what's going on here? Any thoughts? This is the pouring out of the spirit that's been promised for the last days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, I'm just going. And this is also this is in response to going back to verse 15. Um, the the apostles were accused of being drunk, mm-hmm. and this is a, no. This is the fulfillment of Joel. They are prophesying. Mm-hmm. They're not out drunk and right. disorderly. Right. Yeah. The. the uh, the the speaking in tongues um, caused some people to to jump to some incorrect conclusions, uh, but no, yeah, it is it's the fulfillment of prophecy, and and here we see that it's not just that um, that Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, but we we can actually look back to the Old Testament and we see there are Old Testament prophecies about this happening as well. Um, Let's see. Um, a little later in verse uh, 33, he says of Jesus, uh, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so, again, uh, this is this is all tied back to um, it's a it's a promise from the Father uh, of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's being poured out on believers. Um, now, it's interesting. Does, uh, does, does, uh, does Peter describe this simply as just like, well, this was what was promised by the Father, and so this is what happened? Or does he, does he tie something else in there? That may be too vague of a question, so nobody spots it quickly. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm looking for. What, what was the question again, though? Um, is it is it simply just that like um, the Father is fulfilling His promise to give the Holy Spirit, or is there something else tied in there? Put it this way: Is it the Father that's giving the Spirit? It's, it's Christ. All this is connected to Christ. The fact that we are in the last days is because of Christ has come. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, the the it's interesting that the the way that Peter describes it here is that the promise of the Holy Spirit was first and foremost given to Jesus. Um, that I mean, it is it is a promise for us, but that first and foremost the the Holy Spirit was was given to Jesus. Um, and then was poured out on uh, on believers. Now this raises an interesting question: um, wasn't um, wasn't the Spirit already on Jesus uh, prior to uh, prior to his resurrection, his glorification? Yeah. Um, you remember we as we talked about it um, uh, in an earlier lesson, we we saw uh, Jesus quoting. From Isaiah 61:1, uh, he says, "The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so Jesus there understands that at the beginning of his ministry, he has the Holy Spirit. We also saw that when uh, when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him, just invisible form there. So Jesus had the Holy Spirit. So what what's going on here with what uh, what Peter is saying in Acts chapter two? Any ideas? Well, I think if we consider it, um, there's no question that the Holy Spirit, I mean, in a sense you can say the Holy Spirit was present with Christ even before his baptism, um, but then the Holy Spirit was was poured out on him in a special way at his baptism. Uh, But also, in a sense, he received the Holy Spirit in another special way um, after he had accomplished what the Father had sent him to do um, in order that, that the Holy Spirit could then be uh, given to to those who belong to Christ. Um, Christ was glorified, and then he was in a position to pour out the Holy Spirit on his disciples, the fulfilling uh, of the of the promise of the Father. That's that's basically the idea there. That it's like this was something that was promised by the Father upon the accomplishment of the work that Christ was sent to do. And so he accomplished that work and he received the Holy Spirit then to give to his disciples. Um, consider what, uh, what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. Uh, Paul here says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So there he speaks of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we're receiving the Holy Spirit. And he specifically refers to it as the promised Holy Spirit, right? Um, it's it's not just, yeah, we got the Holy Spirit, but this was this was what was promised. Um, and in this passage, he ties it. Uh, he he ties it to our connection with Abraham through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ, we are children of Abraham, um, and it's because of the blessing of Abraham that we receive through faith in Christ um, that we are receiving this promise. Uh, note that the promise is not limited to the natural descendants of Abraham. Um, the blessing of Abraham comes even to the Gentiles um, because it's not just the natural children of Abraham who are heirs of the promise, but it's all of those who have faith in Christ. Those who have faith in Christ are children of Abraham. Um, And Peter found this to be the case as well when he proclaimed the gospel uh, to the household of Cornelius. Um, I'm sure you guys remember that story as well, where uh, Peter goes and he uh, proclaims the gospel to these Gentiles at the household of Cornelius. Um, you know, and it, it took some prompting for Peter to even go and proclaim the, the message to these Gentiles. Um, well, after this, Peter is actually um, he's recounting what he had observed because there's some 
you know, controversy about the fact that it's like, well, you went and you spoke to Gentiles. Um, and so Peter is explaining what happened. So he recounts what he observed um, in, uh, in these words from Acts 11, uh, beginning in verse 15. He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them, uh, if, if then God gave the same gift to them as he was, uh, or as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So what do we see here in this passage? How does how does Peter characterize what he observed with the the household of Cornelius? Any any parallels with anything else we've talked about as we've gone through this? The same language of the gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you see, you see that same language of the Holy Spirit being a gift that is given. Anything else? I think it's also, it says, um, I think kind of one of the points here is that it's not just a gift that's given to the Jews, but also the Gentiles as well. It's poured out on all people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that tie back to anything that we've, that we've talked about already? Yeah. <laughs> right i mean uh, i mean obviously paul you know he's he's tying in you know jews and gentiles both here um, um but even like when you consider um the uh, the the prophecy in joel um you know there, there seems to be like an expansiveness to the pouring out of the holy spirit that we see uh in that prophecy of joel that um that uh that peter quoted um but Peter is very clear here um, that it's the same gift. It's not like okay, yeah, you know, you know, we Jews, you know, we got the promised gift of the Spirit, and then, well, the Gentiles they got a gift of the Spirit as well, but it's a little different than ours. You know, he he makes it very clear that it's the same gift. Uh, it's the same thing that we received. The Gentiles received it as well. Um, so God's mercy, and that's kind of the conclusion. It's like, well, you know, praise God. You know, His mercy is uh, is to the Gentiles as well. Um, that's the the conclusion when um, when Peter explains what's going on here and what he observed with uh, the household of Cornelius. Um, so as we as we consider this, this is kind of a you know a look at the. Um, the various passages that talk about this this coming this this shift in redemptive history and you know there's other passages we could look at where uh, there's an explicit description of the Holy Spirit coming upon people um, but one thing that we have to consider is what what exactly is um, is new here what's what's changed and what actually hasn't changed because we could take this too far we could we can be too focused on uh, the redemptive historical shift that we're seeing here, and we could we could make all sorts of claims about the work of the Holy Spirit that aren't justified in Scripture. Uh, so when we consider, was the Holy Spirit operative in the lives of the people of the Old Testament? 
Yes, yeah. That's I mean it's pretty straightforward. In fact, we we did a lesson on that where we um, where we talked about that. Um, very clearly, the spirit is, was operative in the lives of the people of the Old Testament. Um, one passage that I don't think we talked about last time, um, or in, when we when we did that lesson, uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter nine verses eighteen through twenty. Um, the, they're praying to God there, um, and says even in uh, recounting the history of of the people of Israel and God's mercy to them. Uh, and it says, uh, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud uh, to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them uh, to, to to light for them the way which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from uh, their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. So there it's recounting the, the mercies of God to this rebellious people Israel. Um, and included in there is, is the giving of the spirit to instruct them, right? Uh, so the spirit is operative in the Old Testament. Um, so that's, you know, very clearly, and, you know, we saw that with a, a whole bunch of passages. Um, so we, one thing we don't want to say is that the Holy Spirit was just uninvolved with mankind uh, prior to uh, what happens when, when the Holy Spirit is poured out after the glorification of Jesus. Um, something else that, that we should consider is uh, could anyone be saved in the Old Testament apart from the operation of the Holy Spirit? I mean, we talked about, we, we had a lesson basically on the, the conversion of sinners and the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in that. Um, that's not something that shifted from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, so, you know, there are some times that people take their theology kind of in that direction, that, uh, that it was just, it worked differently under the Old Testament. But that's not the case. Um, and when we when we talked about that, we um, we specifically looked at John chapter three and Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus, um, and it's definitely worth um, taking another look at that this morning. Uh, John chapter three, beginning in verse five, we're not going to do as, as thorough an examination of it as we did then, but beginning in verse five, Jesus answered. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not, and yet you do not understand these things? So when you consider, um, just a, a couple things I want to draw out from this. Uh, when is this conversation happening? Pre-Pentecost. Pre-Pentecost, exactly. So this is before the Holy Spirit has been poured out, before this redemptive historical change that we've been talking about this morning. Um, 
And Jesus seems to be making it very clear that even prior to Pentecost, um, you can't even see the kingdom of God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. You have to be born from above, born by the Spirit, um, before you can before you can see the kingdom of God, before you can be saved. So um, the work of the Spirit in all of history is absolutely necessary for the redemption of sinners. Is there anything else um, that we could we could draw from this passage that that might inform us on this topic? Things. Nicodemus should have known this. Apparently, that's that's exactly right. That's the that's the. Sometimes I ask questions that I think maybe that's just way too vague. They'll never know what I'm getting at. But that's exactly what I was getting at. Um, is that Jesus seemed to think that Nicodemus could actually have understood this? That um, that he should have understood basically the nature of man and sin and the necessity of this divine operation of God in order to, to change someone uh, so that they would uh, become followers of God. Um, that's something that, that, uh, that Jesus, you know, like basically, Nicodemus, you're, you're a teacher in Israel. You should understand this. You should know this. Um, and so, um, again, just very important that we don't take any of this uh, information about this uh, about the, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and try to make it be where like the Holy Spirit didn't actually regenerate people prior to that event. That's that's the way that God has been saving people throughout all history is the the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit being born again by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, consider another passage that we looked at when we were um, we were looking at the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. Um, Numbers uh, chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17 and then jump ahead and uh, look at verses 24 through 30. Um, Numbers 11, starting verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be uh, the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And then jumping down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Uh, Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them, and they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? 
would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. So when we consider this passage, um, this is a place where I think we do see a shift between the uh, the period prior to Pentecost and the period after Pentecost. What 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 do you what do you think I'm referring to here? What's What's a shift that happened? It appeared that the Lord gave and took his spirit from mm-hmm. people. Right. Like with Saul, he removed his mm-hmm. spirit yeah. and stuff. But after Pentecost, he gave his spirit, and that spirit dwells with believers never to leave them. So. Okay, yeah. That's the, the, the permanence of the spirit, whereas before it was, it was very much like, okay, he's giving it to people for these specific purposes. Um, anything else? Um, when we consider, again, looking back at, uh, at uh, where Peter is quoting from uh, the prophecy of Joel, um, what's, what's, a, what's an important element of that prophecy? Does anybody remember? I don't know if this is what you're going for or not, but the fact that it's going to Gentiles is huge. Okay, uh-huh. It's going out to all flesh. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's... It, it's it's a little difficult specifically in um, with Gentiles in that passage because it's actually like Jews from different areas that speak different languages that are um, that are the ones who are receiving the Spirit. Uh, I think more than the fact that it's going after all flesh is what the problem. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but there is there is an expansiveness there. I mean the the language in that in that passage, you know, it, it talks about. Um, just to, I suppose I just look back rather than rather than misquote it, right? Um, find it in my notes. Um, and in the last and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And so there you just see like this expansive language that is like he's just covering all sorts of you know different types of people, um, and it's just basically just the idea that the Holy Spirit is being given to all of God's people. When we consider what we saw in the Old Testament, was that the case? We certainly know that all people were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but did all people have the Holy Spirit resting on them and empowering them in the Old Testament? It's typically leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the transition of the priesthood to the royal priesthood. Yeah. I mean, the entire church is the royal priesthood. Yeah. Yeah, that's as, it. As the Spirit is poured out, and that's the major difference is people had to look to the priests to represent their entrance to God's God's presence in right. any way. Yeah. And with the new covenant, or the fulfillment of the covenant, we mm-hmm. have that direct entrance as part of the royal priesthood. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's an excellent way to put it. You know, and, and Peter makes that reference where he refers to uh, the, the, the new covenant Christians basically as a royal priesthood. It's not just where we have the, you know, the Levites, and then within the Levites, this set apart people that are the priests, um, or even as you consider the prophets that were, that, you know, that received the Spirit of God in order to prophesy. Um, but that specifically, that in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit poured out on all believers. 
Um, and so that's a that's a shift that happened. Um, whereas uh, God's God's empowering with the Spirit was was definitely much more restricted in the Old Testament, where it becomes much more expansive uh, in the New Testament. Let's see. Now I gotta find where I was at in my notes again. Um, so yes, it's the universal uh, experience of Christians. Um, now there's uh, there's there's much debate about precisely what um, what differences exist since Pentecost, and so I mean, hopefully I've kind of highlighted a little bit that we can see specifically in Scripture. Um, we should we should definitely be very careful just because there's there's lots of uh, lots of variance of opinion. So there's lots of godly people that have said, well, this is you know this is uh, how we should describe the change, and that's how we should describe the change. Um, but hopefully we can see that. Scripture does teach that there was a change, and we can at least see pieces of that that are very explicit. Um, and we should rejoice in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, that's a great blessing that we have, the, the presence of the triune God with us, um, and that we are empowered in that way. Um, so we should rejoice in that, and we should seek to make the most of the gifts of the Spirit, the the Holy Spirit gives us gifts as believers, um, and we're gonna we're gonna look at that in a future lesson. But just um, as we come to a close here, just I just want to read Ephesians chapter four, verse the first six verses. Uh, there, Paul says, "I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience." bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called for the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so there we see that um, just grace is given to us, that, that the Holy Spirit um, is bestowing on us. Uh, Christ is bestowing on us. The Father is bestowing on us uh, these gifts, these empowerments, uh, in order to be able to serve and able to, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Um, and so that's a, just a wonderful thing that we should rejoice in as we consider just the, the empowerment that we have of the Holy Spirit uh, in the current period of, of God's redemptive history. Any final thoughts or questions about any of that, Ben? I, speaking of, so something else that Dr. Ferguson has kind of said, not necessarily about the Holy Spirit, but about the character of God, and I think you see it here especially, is just how much that is God's character that he gives. Mm -hmm. He gives and gives of himself. It's, uh, the Father has given us his Son. Mm -hmm. The Son has given us his life. The Holy Spirit, and then gives the Holy Spirit also. It's mm -hmm. like, uh, and uh, he talks about how this is the lie in a lot of ways that was there from the beginning. The devil's like, oh no, God wants you to earn this, but he's the God who gives. Even in the garden, God's giving them all these good things. Uh -huh. um, 
that's his character. It's mm-hmm. not that, oh, you need to earn my favor. I've given you all these things. Right. And, uh, and that it's very difficult to untwist that in our minds. We mm-hmm. always think we have to please God, but no, God's giving it us of himself over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, to change us, it, he doesn't just leave us where we are. Right. Um, he doesn't do it to everyone, but, he, but even to everyone, he does give good gifts, the rain, sure. the sun, all that, but yeah. This, this is who our God is. Who uh-huh. Loves so much and gives so much of Himself. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That is a that is a great point. Uh, God is just very gracious in giving gifts, and as as you pointed out, like Satan twisted that in the garden, where um, it you know it you know Satan tried to make it into like where where God is withholding good things that He should be giving, uh, and is jealous to you know to guard that, um, but. I mean, I mean, that's a twisting of the truth. And as we continue our study, we're going to see that, like, the the gifts of God and our understanding of that can just so easily be twisted. Um, and we see, like, the, the difficulties that the people at Corinth had with the gifts that they were receiving and the way that they twisted it into something um, really, you know, very different from what God intended. Um, and so, yeah, we need to... Um, to really understand that it is just God's gracious gift and be thankful for it, not try to twist it into something that it's not. So that's a that's a good point. Anything else? All right. Let's uh, let's close a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we do thank you for your gracious gift to us. Lord, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would that we would live lives that are worthy of the calling with which you have called us, Uh, that we would uh, consider what spirit it is that dwells within us, and that we would um, take full advantage of the gifts that you have given us so that we could serve you uh, more fully, that we would walk uh, more closely, that we would um, be conformed to the image of Christ, and more just that you would continue to glorify yourself in your church. In Christ's name, amen. amen.